The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Danny, I promise you that today is going to be my absolute best work after a weekend in New Orleans. Clearly, I, I am just absolutely 100% right now ready for this. But I did have a great time at my alma mater, Tulane University. Didn't go there for law school, but I was invited to be a judge of their basketball negotiation competition. And uh, it was a lot of fun to do that. A lot of uh, great NBA people there as judges, so that was cool to get to hang out with them got to eat some good food and then uh my sister's bachelorette party was the rest of the weekend so i'm uh gonna rally though uh, for this episode did get a chance to go through some film on the plane there and back and after i got back today so we are ready to rock for this 15 and 60 mailbag edition let's put six minutes on the clock here for the atlanta hawks what are their fundamentals the Atlanta Hawks are 19 and 43, 2 and 2 since the last 15-60. There's a shorter turnaround because they were in the movers section that we did last week. Their net rating is negative 7.2, which is 27th in the NBA, 25th in offense, 28th in defense, 538's projections give them 29 wins, which would be 10th in the Eastern Conference. And whichever model you're using, their chances are low of making the playoffs. Not zero, but low. Yeah, some news for them. Cam Reddish had to leave a game over the weekend with low back type he's questionable on monday and Dwayne deadman underwent a non-surgical procedure thursday to address ongoing pain in his right elbow hey maybe who knows how long that lasted i mean that's why he couldn't shoot at all this year uh but the Hawks center roulette will continue uh with bruno fernando starting and clint capella looking like mid-march is the earliest he could possibly return for the atlanta hawks what we got here for these guys so the question i wanted to start on was from at ndy carrier who has the most star equity of cam reddish kevin herter and deandre hunter for atlanta and the focus is on star equity which i think is for those three guys a very different question than expected value because i think all three of them don't really have a ton of star equity i could see all of them being solid players herder to me doesn't i, I, don't I think, think it's reddish very clearly. i think it's reddish too yeah um because hunter hunter's game doesn't profile like doesn't really have that star those star elements and herders the same type of thing like they can be useful players but i don't think they can the star element i don't really expect to see but reddish has that possibility that's part of the reason he went 10th overall yeah and that's just because of his ability to do things off the dribble now right. have we seen him do that 
effectively it's looked a little better in this last month to be sure but obviously at duke he had myriad struggles his two-point percentage was atrocious on a team where he was the only spacing that they had admittedly you know he was in a really really difficult situation to succeed i mean people always talk about oh well rj barrett and zion were in a tough situation last year well they at least had cam reddish spacing the floor for them (laughs) he had all those other terrible spacers plus zion and rj spacing the floor for him so he was in even worse of a situation trying to get to the basket for them but yeah he's shown something uh, on defense he's had a few fewer of those ridiculous turnovers uh, and drives and started getting uh, some better looks at the rim what are his stats like during this last uh, and we'll start maybe for just for february that's probably the easiest way to look at it because i know a lot of people have been tweeting us telling us how uh he's doing so much better so we might as well uh, keep people informed here so for february he has a or had because the month is over now happy march uh 57 percent true shooting 19.6 percent usage both of both of which are highs for him and remember going back to that october where he was was so rough that was he had 28 percent true shooting just in five games in october and his defense has looked better too and that's an important part of this story yeah now for the season it's absolutely atrocious in pretty much every area and well, and, and that, sorry can i interject for a point here please this happened last year with with colin sexton that optimists for a for a young player yeah. josh jackson was another guy who you know would have these late uh in the season surges although this and is not as late as some of those guys this isn't as late but there there is optimism when especially when somebody starts terribly and ends well to say oh well just they figured something out x out all their stuff and the the from what i recall from kevin pelton stuff and you can correct me if I'm wrong i think it's like you do weight the later stuff more but it's only like a it's a smaller weight. yeah it's like it's like 60, 40, 40 60 yeah or yeah something like that and um, so that means the you know the horrendous 47 percent true shooting before the all-star break counts and that's a part of predicting what moves forward. Now, we'll eventually build out a larger sample, and that can change. But I, I want to just caution people. And the defensive growth, that is that is more that is more predictable or more positive because it, that doesn't necessarily have the same mark. But like with shooting, be very cautious with that sort of thing. Okay, we've got a couple minutes left here. Let's go through a lightning round. Uh, KJ asks, would Coach Bud's system be better for the Hawks than their current system? And... I mean, I guess his system in Atlanta, I don't think so. His system in Atlanta was relying on the mobility of Millsap and Horford to get out on the floor and pick and roll defense, trap the ball handler, recover back, force a lot of turnovers. Um, If you're talking about his system in Milwaukee, uh, you know, they they don't have that second rim protector. They don't have Giannis. The rim protectors that they have had so far haven't looked good. Maybe it would look better if you have Collins and Capella. You're gonna play two bigs. And so we say, hey, John Collins, you know, we just want you to hang out around the rim. We don't want you to get out on the floor and take away three-pointers. We'll just live with the other team's four taking threes. Um, You know, maybe there's a thought to that, but, you know, Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez and Giannis, I mean, they are incredibly talented players. And then... The other part of it too is that the guys crash in from the wing all the time with the the bucks as well to take away the, the paint. But you know, may, maybe you can say that that would be the case. You've also got you know Trey Young trying to get over screens at the top on a drop coverage or close out on guys. You know, crashing the paint help and close out. I mean, they, they don't have the same personnel. So um, 
I mean, Bud, I think, is a really good coach. I think he would find something. He's very detail-oriented. I think he's a better coach than Lloyd Pierce. So, yeah, you'd probably rather still have him than Pierce. But uh, I don't know if there's anything specific about his system, necessarily, that would be and, that great. And just quickly from Glengarry, any thoughts on the Hawks fording with his own defense? I think they might as well try. I've, I've been in support of, especially teams with shaky defensive personnel, turning to it when they can and just having it in the system. No, no. I don't expect most squads to do what the Raptors in particular have done of just, like, bouncing between and going to all these complex things. But I think having a couple of different options in your bag and going back to Jared Dubin's piece from last year, what a team like Miami sometimes does with that is it's when they're not communicating well, when they need to change the pace going to it. And I think that makes sense for Atlanta. And given that their defensive personnel still needs work, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, quickly, BPM Twitter. Why was Alex Len so touted in his draft year? He was not touted by me. Uh, you know, the, the statistical translations were not amazing on him. Usually for a big, he should be putting up solid numbers in college. That, that'll translate pretty well. Uh, you know, I think he just had great size. It was pretty, you know, these foreign guys, sometimes you can talk yourself into, and any big really, this idea of, oh, you know, they're just scratching the surface. They haven't been playing basketball for so long. I tend to well, think that that's not necessarily the case. I can tell a story with this too, because I, oh, yeah. I was living in D.C. when Len was playing for Maryland and I was very sympathetic towards him because that team had guards that couldn't get him the ball and one of the mistakes that I made was and this is something that I've hopefully gotten better at since then as a draft analyst is the absence of uh, like justifying a negative does not make it a positive like just because he wasn't he he wasn't getting the ball and that didn't mean he was going to be good when it did happen and so yeah, that was something. The, the idea being that like the guards were bad and he never got the ball yeah the so he didn't get a fair shot that doesn't mean he's going to be good that just means that the, what we have the sample we have is non-representative which is a very different statement to make um yeah I, I mean it's one thing if you're gonna say you know zion williamson or rj barrett you don't have spacing versus you know oh these guys couldn't get in the ball like you don't know that he would have done anything if he did get him the ball right Correct. i mean like uh but but i think you know he had the physical tools but he didn't show great instincts as a rim protector he wasn't like a guy who's like oh he's just playing so hard he had what you know seemed to be a projectable skill level but I also don't think people were like, oh man, this guy's going to be just like an absolutely dominating offensive player. So he, he kind of, you know, he had some thought that he could maybe be pretty decent in some areas uh, and maybe even a lot of areas, but didn't really stand out in any particular way. And I mean, the biggest thing is just that he's a center. So yeah, I mean, the he league was just moved yeah. away from him. Uh, Boston Celtics, what are their fundamentals, please? The Celtics are 41 and 38, 4 and 3 since the last 15 and 60. They're second in net rating, plus 7.4, fourth in offense, fourth in defense. 538 projects them to win 58 games, which put them second in the Eastern Conference, and they're making the playoffs. Uh, Daniel Ravid. Can you talk a little bit about the Daniel Tice roll to the rim moving screen? Yeah, we've hit on this a lot, especially if you watch a Celtics game with us on the NBA cast. Um, it's something that I think Steven Adams was one of the first guys to do it. Then you saw it a lot of times too when someone would drive from one side. Andrew Bogut did the like, I'm going to just hold the guy's arm. But Tice now, I mean, it's clear to me and Cantor will do it too, that the Celtics coaches instruct these guys when they roll to the rim. It, it's kind of tough, right? Like you have a lot of times to find that pass to the roll man. And so if you don't get the ball really on the move by the time you get to say the dotted line, then to like catch it with some momentum and go up and crush it, 
Now it's really hard to get you the ball because you're kind of right near the rim. You would have to hand it off two guys that big who is back there can almost guard two guys uh, if the driver wants to get all the way to the rim. So you say, hey, you know what? Make yourself useful. Why don't you quote unquote box out or quote unquote post up? as you continue your roll to the rim but just do it into your own man and make it impossible for him to help and there you know your jason tatum or your kemba walker or your jalen braun just gonna be able to go right to the rim and you basically are able to screen two guys on the play right you set the initial screen you knock the guy off so uh, of the ball handler now he's ahead of that guy and then you roll to the rim and you can screen off the your own man too so you basically it's like you're blocking two guys in football and so the problem is that he's almost invariably moving when he does it and it the purpose of it is to set a screen and so i think it's just something that the league should look at to say hey you yeah. know this, this we know what they're doing here this it, is not yeah go ahead but it's legal in, in the current interpretation i think they just need to yeah. change the interpretation of the rule yeah no i mean it's not like they're cheating or the referees are gonna i just think it would be you know the offense has enough advantages without a guy being able to screen well, two guys and, and, and on the same possession imagine like if that. it gets more prevalent i mean it just it, yeah. it's so so powerful it's 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 not like a full-on chico but it is a big advantage we might as yeah. well get and, and i think i think also what i would say is if you are the big there who is trying to help you need to still try to just go through that guy as he's moving to get there and just jump in an exaggerated way to try and help and highlight what's going on here because the rest of it oh they're just jockeying for position or whatever um okay let's uh why don't we just hit we got 800 billion questions on jason tatum you want to just let's talk about what we've seen from him in the last month or so and you know, what this kind of means it of course this invariably happens every year that as soon as we do the top prospects ranking the guy just there's one player who just like starts lighting it up it was devin booker last year this year it's been tatum um so what do you make of this recent surge of his? The biggest extended takeaway for me, because some of it is just insanely hot shooting. You know, he shot 48% from three in the month of February. He's at 50% flat since the All-Star break. And some of that, you know, there is regression to the mean. He is not a 48% three-point shooter, especially not on the ones he's taken. But Tatum looks so much more confident and so much more fluid with step backs and just generally threes off the dribble. And that's the part that's so striking. Yeah, he's shooting overall now for the season. He's shooting 40% and he shot 43% his rookie year but he's going from 92% yeah. J- Jared Weiss should have bet me I offered him that one and he we did the uh the, the how one. many games is the center going to close which I'm pretty sure I'm winning I'll have to uh check in with him on that because I haven't watched every Celtics game but 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 the Tatum uh, story overall is so that rookie year when he shot 43% 92% of those were assisted and this year that's down to 57 that means he's doing a lot yeah. more off the dribble those are harder attempts and his confidence there and the, to me the proportion off the top of my head the proportion of unassisted is going up and he's also making more of them so one of the questions well, well especially because uh walker has been out since right the break. so he's had to do more and the offense hasn't suffered as much as i thought it would and he's been doing well carrying some some of those second units where there aren't many starters on the floor offensively and so there the one of the questions is okay there's going to be a regression how big is that regression and and what form does it take but then the other part is how does this work against really good opposition because now Tatum is presumably at the point where he's the guy that other teams are going to put their best perimeter you know their best forward stopper on you know and then that makes life easier on the Celtics other offensive players and I think it'll work I mean it's it's looked good against a lot of different teams at this point but you know if it's Kawhi or if it's the the, the few who have actually fit 
fit that description. I'm less confident just because I'm less confident in that with almost anybody but Kawhi. Yeah, and Tatum, I mean, it, I locked in on that game against Houston, as so many people did over the weekend, and he struggled on that one. He's 9-27, uh, did get some, some free throws. A lot of that was, I just thought he, and that was their first game back, I think, after a road trip, too. He didn't quite have the explosion that he's had these last few games, finishing at the rim in particular. He, I thought he missed a lot of plays. That anyway, And Houston provides good help. They've got some stout defenders there, despite the fact that it's, none of them are centers. They still are very help conscious you know Covington PJ Tucker those guys even Harden coming over can put their chest on you and make it a tough finish but I thought he didn't have the same explosion because you know I watched all the games from that game all the shots from that game and then I moved back and watched a few games before that and he he did look notably more explosive I thought that Houston did well to really pressure him up and say hey you know like we're gonna pressure your handle we're not gonna let you just you know hit all the buttons on the controller and go into all your moves uh, and we're gonna make you fear losing the ball we're gonna get a chest on you we're gonna make you uncomfortable they largely did it with the the whole celtics offense seth pointed that out uh, on twitter today and so I, I thought that bothered him a little bit. He had a lot of plays where he was going in to help. I mean, the biggest problem that he has right now is if, if teams are going to really focus on him, what they're going to do is they're going to make him a driver, uh, especially when he gets into this ISO game. And that was part of why I think Houston had success too, is it wasn't pick and roll. It was, okay, you got to beat beat us on an ISO. We're going to pressure up. We're not going to let you take that step back as easily. And then we're going to bring help when you get into the lane. And it's not going to be as easy of your normal pick and roll reads because you're coming in an ISO and, and we do have a lot of active help defenders. And so that's where it really has to happen for him is not driving into a crowd, accepting that you've drawn the defense, setting up shooters. I mean, he still was the averaging like two and a half assists a game, which is really low for a guy of his usage. So that's the next step for him of like, all right, you're going to be the focal point for to drive everything. You're going to be this heliocentric guy. And the lucky thing for him in Boston is you've got Hayward and you've got Brown and you've got Walker. So he can really focus on being a scorer, but you know that if he's really going to take the next step, the passing is really what it's going to need to be. But obviously, if you're shooting 40% on off the dribble three pointers at his height, I mean that is just a massive, massive weapon, and he's a solid defender he can get out in transition he can finish i mean there's uh the passing is really becoming one of the only holes in his game at this point and uh no it's very encouraging to see you know let's slow down he's not like a top 10 player in the nba right now or anything but uh yeah i'm very very curious to see what the playoffs will bring for him um can we do one more here? I know we, we talked about Jason a lot there, but let's, uh, maybe we can find one more here. Given the info we have now, would you have made the Celtics-Pelicans trade of Tatum, Smart, and the Memphis pick for Anthony Davis and Filler? I would not have unless Davis was willing to commit long-term, and from what everything that was out there publicly, he wasn't. And, we, you know, Davis wanted to go, looks like he wanted to go to the Lakers, and he, you know, he, he could have had an opportunity to go, to go other places. Look at Miami clearing that money. If he didn't want to stay in in Boston and they thought that threat was credible and it's it's not even necessarily like oh it was a hundred percent that he wouldn't have stayed or something like that but think about how low that chance has to be to still make it not worth it to give up players of that quality uh are Justin Braun are you ready to eat crow on your pre-draft evaluation of Tatum and finally admit that he is an elite 
two-way player i mean i think it it was very clear that that was wrong i mean i think i had him number seven on the top 10 prospects list a month and a half after he was drafted two months after or two months after not after he was drafted but two months after the start of the 17-18 season so clearly uh you know i didn't think he was that good i thought his shooting would not really translate particularly well I didn't think he was going to be an elite one-on-one defender. I still think that's the case. He had the nice game against Kawhi the other day, but you know, we're, I'm going to need to see a lot more of that. Uh, you know, the help defense has been really good. That's a, something that a lot of people pilot. Incidentally, uh, since we're here, ESPN indicated, and they're going to have an article about this in a couple of weeks, that they're tweaking their defensive RPM system. They, they made some changes to it at the start of this year, and it had resulted in a lot of perimeter players being very extreme on either side of the ledger. You know, Bradley Beal and, and Trey Young and Devin Booker on bad, and uh, LeBron Tatum on good. And so they are actually tweaking that to kind of reduce the magnitude of those in either direction uh, for for those who were really getting excited about Tatum as you know the greatest defensive player of all time, uh, that that's not quite the case yet. Still very good, of course. So and also this idea of like, okay, are you ready to eat crow? To say that like, all right, we've got to this point where now where like, oh, I'm gonna snap my fingers and my opinion completely flips around one day. No, that's not how it works. You have your prior, which is the pre-draft evaluation. Then you see how he plays in the NBA. You continue to evaluate as time goes on and he's been a fixture on our top 10 prospects list for a long time so i mean well and then there's there's one other point to make there which is we we hold each other and ourselves accountable because that's the virtue of it and there is this and and people are free to do you know whether you want to make a first amendment argument whatever people are free to do whatever they want but you just it just so happens that you always get and jason tatum's a player here after, after from during his rookie year and everything else he's a good test case of this that there's a lot of chatter at very specific moments, and then if th- if that is an aberration, for whatever reason, the chatter stops, and there's never any like admission that that was a little bit overhyped. This happened with Buddy Heald as well, numerous other people, and you can do that, and nobody's ever going to stop you. But it's kind of always the point of like, what are you gaining from this, like that sort of thing. Like one of my things is just trying to improve the discourse and like making fun of somebody because they had a genuine difference of opinion that they have conceded doesn't seem like a worthwhile thing to like puff your chest about. It's not something you and i try to do either yeah it does seem like when you've gotten someone to agree with you continuing to tell them what an idiot they were that doesn't make a lot of sense i, I think that that more applies in politics what if fans are gonna fan and, exactly and that's fine. And like and we're, fine, we're always gonna to do it like that but like it especially doesn't make people more likely to want to listen to you <laughs> yeah well i mean this is pretty mild are you oh, ready yeah, to no, no, crow? no. I, i'm just I saying some that. of the that's... other stuff i get <laughs> yeah yeah yes there, there's lots of i take a quick break here and then we'll get to uh the brooklyn nets very exciting. Yeah, so you remember when I was like, okay, let's uh, go six minutes on the clock here. This time I'm actually going to do that for the Brooklyn Nets. Their fundamentals, please. 26 and 33, three and five since last 1560. They are 15th in net rating. About They're outscored by about a point per 100 possessions. 22nd in offense, ninth in defense. 538 projects they will win 34 games, which comfortably puts them in the eighth seed in the moribund bottom of the Eastern Conference. Raptor gives them a 78% chance of making the playoffs. ELO gives them a 93% chance and i want to start with this question from jim stangs can you explain the nets month plus high defensive rating
testing doesn't look different from the eye test. Are you seeing anything different? And as is often the case, the thing to look at when a defense is doing significantly better than before is how are opponents shooting. And opponents are shooting very poorly right now. So in the month of February, Brooklyn opponents had the second lowest effective field goal percentage in the entire league, including 33% from three, which was the fifth lowest percentage in the entire league. What is different about that in Brooklyn specific circumstances, there's this issue of the math with them. And so there's the idea is that they force shots in the right location. So knowing just that piece of information, you could expect, so they had the second best opponent location effective field goal percentage. That's basically if team shot league average from everywhere that they shot from, how well would they do? And Brooklyn always is really good in that measure because of the shots they force. However, the idea that has been kind of talked about over the last couple of years is, well, they're forcing higher, they're, the, they're conceding higher percentage shots from those areas. And in that, in this month, that didn't end up happening. So that's part of the reason why their defenses look so good. What do you think about Kenny as a fan of sector 2814? What do you think about Kenny Atkinson's coaching job this year, considering the defense is pretty good, but the offense, especially in the fourth, has been poor? Uh, I mean, I think if you look at their personnel, their defense shouldn't be good. I mean, their wing stopper is uh, Torian Prince, and you know they've played deandre jordan who really struggled last year he's actually been better this year uh you know jared allen has had some inconsistencies but he could still protect their own a little bit but you know at, at the four to have your wing stopper be prince and he's playing the four for you as well you know your three and your four are joe harris and prince i mean that is just you don't have any size on the floor outside of your center ever i mean to be above average defensively is very solid and then the offense i mean half the year essentially they've had spencer dinwiddie as the only guy in this team who could dribble <laughs> who's active and you know lavert has really struggled as well and now you can make the argument that they should move the ball a little bit more but to who i mean we've highlighted this in a past one where prince he's shooting it reasonably well from three or at least was at one point and but his shooting percentage is terrible because he's got to do all this stuff inside the arc which you know maybe he's a little too eager to do but somebody has to like joe harris isn't going to run a pick and roll for you uh so i mean he's been their second pick and roll guy a lot of the time and lavert has been uh really struggling from the field as he's come back from his injury so i don't really know what else he could be doing I man am i going to tell you he's an elite coach no i'm not going to say that and uh, you know certainly with it's been a weird year with kd and mostly Kyrie waiting in the wings to come in and kind of put their stamp on the culture of this team and you know you they arguably have had some of their best times when those guys weren't around and so they could kind of get back to the old uh happy-go-lucky nets uh, of previous years but no i mean i, I think you'd be very hard pressed to argue that atkinson has done anything other than a good job this year given the personnel available i mean they've had what 65 million worth of guys on the bench basically the whole year yeah if it, not more it, than that it's pretty striking uh there are two more i wanted to do briefly uh one from raps fan one two three seven what flexibility does brooklyn have to get better this summer other than their guys getting healthy they don't have a lot i mean uh they, so they'll have the taxpayer mid level of course and they could theoretically trade players on roster karis lavert is the most obvious there especially given spencer dinwiddie's connection with the stars that they brought in most notably Kyrie irving how much surplus value lavert has I, I think that he does have his constituencies within the league but this hasn't exactly been yeah i mean he's gonna need to play better like right, he's exactly. 25 
Right. So I, I think so. that I think that it's going to be a lot. It's going to be very hard. And the other big challenge, if if you and I have both posited that Kevin Durant is not going to be like the lead defensive, like the lead defensive forward necessarily, he can be a help guy. So then, okay, maybe you're rolling the dice on Torian Prince there. But just like filling out the other things they need, if their goal is to like be a conference finals team, an NBA finals team, what they need is tough to find. So that will be it'll be hard to like trade Karis Levert for a starting caliber forward because the teams that have starting caliber forwards want want that guy more than Karis LeVert in most circumstances. Maybe there's a, a, a fit. So that's one I want to talk about briefly. The other one just from PJB937. Shouldn't the Nets be playing their young players now? They're already be tanking and figure out those guys, what those guys have to an extent, but this happens all the time. I, I wrote a piece years ago about KJ McDaniels where this this was a most common comment. Coaches and general managers have, have a lot of other ways to evaluate young players rather than the time they play in NBA games. Just because that is what fans and see it becomes a proxy for how much coaches care and what they know but remember they have practices they have scrimmage they have summer league they have g league potentially and that so they they have a lot more information to work with and sometimes they trust that more and you know the they're still trying to win basketball games well they're trying to make the playoffs i mean i, I don't think this is really fair for from pb because sacrifice he's saying that sacrificing the development of these guys for wins and his record like no i mean like those guys aren't that good they're not ready i mean they, there's little indication when they have played that they are and so uh, I think they're, they're trying to make the playoffs. Like that still means something. <laughs> and right? and like, sacrificing the development, I'm not sure. Be, so there are two things. So one is like, does the team get more information from playing those players more? And then the other one is, do the players actually get better? You know, like does an extra 200 minutes this year make Kuruks a better player two years from now? And I don't know that the answer is definitively yes there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there to the extent that there has been research on this topic that's indicated something, it's been that no, that actually there, no one has been able to prove a correlation between getting NBA minutes and getting better although that's obviously a very difficult thing to study the Charlotte Hornets 21 21 20, oh, go ahead you do it 21 and 39 so close three oh, more oh baby I mean I'm still not <laughs> oh, no. not not uh count my chickens before they're hatching that but they're five and three in their last eight games 28th in net rating however 28th on offense 25th on defense and actually, they, they are finally getting back to 28th on offense. I predicted that they would be the worst offense in the NBA by a mile. And Devontae Graham basically single-handedly made that not be the case early on. But he has really uh, fallen back to earth quite a bit here now. Well, and, and and that's, I, I hate to, oh, sorry, we should finish the rest of the fundamentals. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll get there. I'll, I'll keep us on track. You make your point here. No, because I was going to use that to jump into one of the questions, but I'll do that after we do the fundamentals. Yeah, okay. Well, so so anyway, they uh, 28th on offense, 25th on defense, projecting for 27 wins, a healthy four games over the 23 game over under. Still 2% chance of the playoffs per ELO, uh, but less than 1% per Raptor. And uh, I'm going to go with Raptor on this one. I, I don't necessarily want to be a wet blanket, but I think this is a good one to clarify with from Rich Kingston, 73. So he, he posited that Charlotte's developing a nice young core. Um, they're walking two years away from being competitive like the Jazz or Denver. I pretty vehemently disagree with that. And a good way to think about it is how many players do they have that I have re- that you have reasonable confidence are going to be a top 15 starter at their position? And for me, the answer is none. There are guys who could do it. Absolutely. I mean, PJ Washington could do it. Devontae could do it. But none that I would expect. 
Well, well, and I mean, the Nuggets had Nikola Jokic, who is the best player probably at his and Rudy position. Go- and Rudy Gobert overall is, is a defensive player of the year yeah. two times. At least the, the best regular season player at his position, maybe. Right. And, uh, and so the, the Hornets don't have that star. And the players who are getting drafted now are going to be too far away. You know, like Nikola Jokic is years into his career now. Rudy Gobert obviously is too. And those, But also think about the, the depth of quality that it takes to get there. And I know with Malik Monk's indefinite suspension, that is another... Well, can I put this in perspective? The Nuggets might have like six or seven players who are better than the best player in the Hornets. And they're young too. Yeah, and then yeah, they're young. I mean, and then you throw in, you know, Porter might not be better than the best player in the Hornets, but he's a better prospect than anybody uh, on the Hornets. Um, uh, Believe in Terry asked, uh, thoughts on Jalen McDaniels? He's been getting some run these last uh, couple of games uh, during this stretch, you know, playing like 10 or 15 minutes a game. Uh, he had played well in the G League to an extent, 38% from three, 82% from the line. That That is certainly good stuff. Only 64 free throw attempts in 31 games. Not that good of stuff in the G League. Most of what he's been doing at the NBA level on offense is just playing off of spot-up situations, taking corner threes. You know, I, I think his corner three looks pretty good. It's not that versatile yet, uh, you know, to where he can shoot on the move at all. Uh, and then he's attacking off a of closeout. So, you know, his first step, he's got some decent moves. He's still painfully thin. He doesn't have a ton of, he's got good length, but he doesn't have a ton of explosion. And there's been a couple of plays where he's really tried to go up and just didn't get the type of bounce that he needed. There was one alley-oop where he just couldn't quite catch it and just like caromed it off the backboard. And uh, obviously he's painfully thin too, so he can get bumped off his shot inside, but he's got that long skinny body uh really prefers a euro step a hard right to left euro step that he covers a ton of ground on getting into a floater i've seen some uh very rudimentary passing ability on some of these where he'll see some nice little drop off passes on occasion uh, finds on the weak side he's better at seeing the pass than actually putting it on time and on target you know he's had a few where he makes the right decision but the pass is just you know makes the guy reset he can't get the shot off or a little too heavy goes through the big's hands that kind of stuff um but any player with his physical attributes uh, these really skinny guys you see a lot of times that they tend to increase their athleticism you think of like a Brandon Ingram a Giannis uh no is he going to be on that type of a level no cl- clearly not but uh you do see those guys tend to get more athletically didn't get as much of a chance to focus in on his defense yet though we'll uh get plenty of chances though I think the he's the Hornets will be uh playing everybody and their brother here at this point in time but the, i mean there was enough there for me to be like ah this is this is interesting let's let's see some more here i'll do this one quickly from corbin corbin nba uh what is a real positional need quality for charlotte that charlotte can acquire moving forward a couple of big ones for me uh a defensive centerpiece whether that's you know like i i think they need somebody who can really reliably protect the rim and whatever their defensive philosophy is going to be can can execute it and why i say acquire there is because depending on what they see as their age their like their timeline they could probably trade for somebody i mean click Capella already went off the board atlanta got him but you could there are centers available who are capable defensively like that is that is something that you can acquire or you know if they think wiseman can be that or somebody like that maybe well they, so are we talking about just like for them to just be a better basketball team next year or just as like a long-term piece i think? was thinking kind of both um yeah. i mean because they i think the answers are the same really to be honest um yeah well because well, here's the theory for you that 
centers are a dime a dozen right but you know we've seen these offensive centers you know an Ennis Cantor Christian Wood maybe kind of falls into this category uh where maybe that's just like the cheapest easiest way to get better offensively is to get one of these offensive centers and they suck defensively anyway so maybe really getting a guy you know not an offensive center who's like oh man we're gonna throw it to the end of the post every time but like you know really good quality pick and roll center get on the offensive glass and you can shoot a little bit you know like you would i think it was had brought up the idea of maybe them going after wood in the offseason he's I still did. pretty young um you know and we'll see whether wood wants to stay in detroit i mean it seems like he's blossomed pretty well under Dwayne casey given as much as he's bounced around that hopefully they would have a a, uh, a home court advantage in keeping him but and both those teams obviously will will have cap space so i mean that that would probably be the way to me of just like i mean they're not gonna get some you know unless you're gonna you know offer 27 million a year to Danilo gallinari or something that just doesn't make any sense at all um yeah uh i don't know anything else stick out to you on that question there no not really and somebody brought up another one just to answer briefly about julius randall randall to me is i don't trust you know his jump shot so the floor spacing is an element and he's terrible defensively so i think he you know they brought up the parallel of valentinus for john Morant. i don't think randall is as good of a player like as good of a fit with a young point guard as as valentinus is that you could argue that randall has more talent it's just that his game doesn't mesh yeah I mean, he's definitely way worse defensively, but it's, I mean, this is a team that at least will could hopefully put some shooting around Randall in a way that the Knicks haven't, but it it doesn't seem like he randallizes your team, right? He's kind of the DeRozan of the center position where you just, you can't defend if you've got him out there. It's so hard to fit around him. He doesn't space the floor, but he also doesn't protect the rim. And so it's just, your fit issues are so difficult. And obviously we've seen that in New York this year. Who's next? The Chicago Bulls. Oh, bulls are 20 and 40. 1-5 1-5 since last 1560. Negative 3.5 net rating is 23rd. 27th in offense. 15th in defense. 538 projects they will win 28 games for 11th in the East. And they're probably not making the playoffs. Raptor has them at 3%. ELO has them at below 1. I believe ELO here, especially considering. They're they're getting closer. They've been the walking wounded, but they're getting closer to coming back, which is definitely a positive. But, I mean, there is the exception of Luke Cornett, who is out for 6 to 8 weeks. Yeah, the Bulls, a bunch of Kobe White questions. You know, he had those three straight 30-point games. Then, of course, because he's on the Bulls, immediately came down with a back injury. And it was, uh, now it was questionable coming. I actually didn't know whether he played over the weekend or not, but he was supposed to be on a minute slip. And if he did, uh, he did not play in oh no he did he had uh, he was 7 to 17 in 29 minutes against the Knicks as they lost uh pretty substantially on the road but we talked about Kobe a couple of weeks ago pretty extensively here um uh, Dean Moniz asks uh, about increasing his minutes starting him if they actually I think when Otto Porter comes back if that actually happens and people are talking about it happening I think I would want to start Kobe then and really see what it what happens when he's the actual point guard and try to get him some reps where he's passing the ball a little bit more. He's got a little bit of shooting around him with Porter, uh, you know, especially if Markinen and Carter are back too and just say, hey, these are our kind of our five best guys here. Let's start Kobe. Let's see how it goes uh, and get an idea of where you're at, especially because, Danny, it's such a point guard heavy draft this year. The Bulls also, I, I think they should go best prospect available, really irrespective of position, even yeah. though I like Wendell Carter, I mean, and, and some of the other guys. And the other reason why 
why is because there is an understanding. I mean, Zach Levine's paid a bunch of money about like the, the potential, potential conflict and like that that makes Kobe White as a like destined to be a sixth man. I think there is a there is an easy case to make that if Kobe White is better than anticipated, that he makes Zach Levine extraneous. And that is, it is easier to build a team around if Kobe White is, is good. And I'm not saying he's there yet or that he will ever get there. But the theory of a Kobe White-led Bulls team being good with the surrounding talent that they have and the theory of how you build a basketball team now is easier for me than a Zach Levine team. It's easier to build a successful offense. Jesse asks, is Kobe White's recent surge a game changer for the Bulls? No, I mean, it's really been four games. Uh, and so that, that's just, especially he's so shooting dependent. Now, if he if they start him like I'm talking about and he's running pick and roll. He's showing a little more passing vision and they go on a run a little bit and he's starting to look like he can be a solid starter then yes but I, I mean certainly it's encouraging I mean but his overall stat line is not great I mean I, I liked him in the draft I've liked what I've seen with the eye test that he's getting better in some ways that I think are really important as we talked about a couple of weeks ago but you know no I can't say that based on three games I, I can change my prior that much on him yet um and they, they can Marco Plum asked if you were GM of the Bulls what would you do to right the ship what do you think Danny I don't think there are any quick fixes here um I mean yeah. I'm lo- I mean that's step one is acknowledging that there aren't any quick fixes it, it is an important first step and also along those lines I said the idea that I would take best prospect available irrespective of whether it conflicted with one of their guys on roster that is another piece of analysis that is really important is the idea that no one is so good you know this isn't a pass on De'Aaron Fox situation or one of those other ones I mean I think teams do that I mean reportedly you never know for sure do that way too much and also like but I mean they're it's gonna take a little bit for you know Porter's gonna have that player option that he's gonna pick up and and I don't think it's there's no reason to desperately clear cap space for 2020 and then I would because I'm lower on some of their guys like I'm lower on Markinen, I'm lower on Zach Levine Levine most notably that I would see if anybody overvalues them and try to move on just because I think that there's a, a ceiling put on the team by some by by especially if marketing can get a lot better like that that's a possibility that it just does work it even though it hasn't yet and I mean we've seen flashes so I would go more in that direction best players available and then you know you're gonna have to understand that it's the sales pitch for top free agents is gonna take success and time and the Bulls have gone big game hunting so much and the problem with that is in the modern NBA teams that have higher profiles are going to be big game hunting too and so it's gonna be really hard for Chicago to get those guys. A few things that I would add John mentioned this uh, when he and I talked about the Bulls last week the idea of trying to at least review the medical staff they are injured yeah, every single point. year it seems like i think i probably would move on from jim boylan um you know I, i've actually defended some of his schemes i think more than people really want to crap on him but the problem is just that the optics aren't good enough and that plays into my third thing of just we got to stop doing this we're a family mom and pop crap like you you got to just like start acting like a real major market team and just rebrand and stuff. Actually, I mean, now is that going to happen with the Ryan Stars in charge? You know, probably not. But I mean, don't run the team like it's kind of this family small market type of deal anymore. Um, what teams do you see signing Chris Dunn to an offer sheet? He's probably low level enough that that's not going to happen. Um, is he more likely to be a qualifying offer candidate? Uh, Mike asks. Yes, I think I think that's. In fact, if I had to predict the most likely outcome, I think he probably would uh, end up signing the qualifying offer because you know he's he's played well. I think he could be an okay backup point guard with his defense. You know, kind of a Mark 
Marcus Smart, you know, poor man's Marcus Smart on both ends, but he's not, you know, I mean, what would the offer sheet be? Five million a year, six million a year? Like nobody's going to bring him in to be a starter. I don't think he's proven enough to get like the Daylon Wright, Tyus Jones offer sheet, especially because he's a lot older than Jones. So I think it probably ends up just being the qualifying offer because they aren't going to want to give, I mean, you know, they might offer him 4 million a year or 5 million a year, but he probably won't take that. And so they also don't want to just let him get away. So it ends up just being the the qualifying offer, I think. Ready for Cleveland? Ready enough. Uh, 17 and 43, two and two since last 1560. They're 29th in net rating, outscored by 8.3 per 100. 26th in offense, 29th in defense. 538 projects they will finish last in the East with 23 wins, and they are not making the playoffs. A lot of questions in in kind of similar similar veins with them about kind of how to how to reconcile. But I want to start with this one from uh, T. Richard. What types of moves can the Cavs make if Drummond opts in? Can Will, Dylan Windler be a starter next season? I would not expect Dylan Windler it, to in be. Con- sequential ones I, I would is, is that a type I, well exactly because so basically the Cavs made the choice with Drummond that if he opted in that they would that they did want to have cap space and the downside of not having cap space is it's very hard to really do wholesale changes especially when a vast vast majority of your players on big salaries are negative value contracts so trading you can't just snap your fingers probably and trade Kevin Love or trade Drummond or trade I mean Drummond might be depending on who has space and all that or Nance depending on what teams want or it, even Exum, I think Exum is a negative value contract at this point. All of all of those type of things. So they can't really, I don't think they can do much, you know, they, if they want to move some of their young players in a deal. But one of the things that came up in a different question, I'll just answer this now, is they said, could you use Sexton as a sweetener in a Kevin Love trade? And in a big picture sense, the, the, the thing that I would tell Cavs fans on that respect is, what are you getting from that? Kevin Love doesn't want to be there. And so you get some of those, some of that negative stuff. But Cleveland clearing cap space, yeah, it's one of those, you know, $20 I wanted a peanut $20 can buy many things but Cleveland's cap space is valuable if teams are trying to clear cap space or if free agents want to go there and I don't think that's going to do as much so sacrificing assets to clear cap space isn't necessarily probably isn't worth it for them if a team overvalues Kevin Love I mean the r- reported offer that they could have gotten expirings for him from Portland if that happened Kobe Altman was a fool to turn it down yeah you know and you know why Danny like he's been healthy the entire year right like what what I mean I mean, that's manna from heaven that this guy has actually made it through the season without a major injury this year. By the way, uh, I have their basketball reference page open right now. I'm guessing you do not. If you do, please don't look at it. How many dunks would you guess that Kevin Love has this season? Oh, God. Three? You nailed it. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Jetty Osmond. Oh, no. Five? No, I'm sorry. Three. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. How does how man? I thought he would have more than that. Uh, I mean, I guess like the only way he's getting a dunk is if someone sets him up. But what, what, uh, they was are. that was that on the pod or was that in something else where I made the comment about how Osman's extension? Like we haven't talked about how bad that looks right now. You know, like just just giving uh, just giving yeah giving a guy no. who we're not sure is like uh, can be like in an NBA rotation, giving him eight million a year moving forward before you had to. Yeah, I, it's, it's it does seem it's that not way. their worst extension, but it's also not helpful. Yeah. It's small enough where I, I mean I think I've I've come to be much lower on him I think uh, as time is going on as with many Cavs. Uh, Larry Nance, uh, Saber TJ asks thoughts on his improved play defense three point 
improved scoring uh yeah i mean the three-point shooting he definitely has looked much more comfortable taking it above the break it's up to about 34 percent ultimately i don't think it really matters though given the price that he's at is he serviceable i guess i mean it, you know his improved defense i mean he's still a big on one of the worst defenses in nba history and his athleticism has definitely waned this is his age 27 season already you know you don't see him getting up for those crazy alley-oops you know you don't see those dunks like that one he had on brooke lopez for the lakers a, a couple of years ago well and, uh, and like i haven't talked to jacob like talked to goldstein or anybody about this but i always am very cautious of players who benefit from plus minus because the other lineups are so unbelievably bad uh yeah and so it, it might be hey look they're a lot better and he's the and he's like the the guy who's getting the credit but that doesn't make him actually good you know that's why context is important i'm not saying like there's a structurally thing wrong with pipm rpm or anything else it's just that like when i watch the Cavs and i watch him on the floor i'm, I'm not thinking oh man he's he's keying like a good defense this one this one is crazy uh brent namias Without selling the team, I assume, by, by Dan Gilbert, do you think that the Cavs will make the conference finals again in your lifetime? I mean, I'm, I'm a little younger than Dan Gilbert. Um, I don't know what his health situation is. I, I hope it's uh, improving. But, I mean, why don't we say, will they make it in the next 20 years, Danny? I mean, it only takes to make the conference finals. I mean, you need you need at least one, like, superstar. But, I mean, that, ha- that can't happen. I'll say 20. So, if we're saying 20 years, I was thinking I was thinking about 30. Yeah, or, or, I mean, we could say just in the time that Dan Gilbert is the primary owner. Uh, it, in the time Dan Gilbert's the primary owner, no. I don't think they will. It's possible, though. I mean, I'm not saying it's zero. It's just lower than 50%. Yeah, I'm going to say no also. I really just... That said, uh, I predicted on the Crystal Ball podcast that the Cavs would be the worst team in the league two years from now. And if they're that this bad for that long, then the odds are better that they'll that they'll get somebody who can be a blue chip. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it all it's like okay, you know, if people are talking about Cade Cunningham, I've never even seen him play, but you know, as being like another one of these potential like generational guys. You know, you get that guy, then you probably make it. If yeah. you don't get that guy, then you probably don't. I mean, they're 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 not going to be like trading for a superstar though. Like they got to get that guy in the draft. Let's go to Detroit. They are 20 and 42, 1 and 2 since last 1560, 22nd in net rating, 19th in offense, 23rd in defense. 538 projects they will win 25 games for 13th in the East. They are not making the playoffs, especially I, I was disappointed in their loss on Sunday to the Sacramento Kings. And um, we got kind of an, inter- an interesting batch of questions. Um, w- the one that I want to start with from Connor Bryant is Is there a future all star on Detroit's roster right now? I'd say more likely than not, no. And who are our candidates here? Seku, Kennard, Christian Wood. Uh, you know what, Danny? I believe that their most likely future all-star is Derek Rose on this team. Oh, yeah. There's an argument about that, too. I mean, he's probably going to be their starting point guard next year, right? I mean, what if they, if they just, like, have a nice year? Maybe, like, Blake Griffin comes back and, like, gives them something. Like, they're kind of on pace for the playoffs. And Coach, it's a nice story. And the coach is like, oh, we got to reward the Pistons. Like, they're in playoff I mean, position. There was a movement for him. There were people trying to get him as an all-star this year. Oh, like, that alternate Pistons announcer referring to him as the all-star candidate candidate Derek Rose I mean you know they, I guess everyone's on the ballot right so um, so but of their young players I mean there are guys who could do it but nobody who I would say is more likely than not and I would say collectively it's under 50% too Nate Walters Stan what in the hell does Detroit do with Blake Griffin in the offseason or next year? Grin and Barrett. Keep him around. Hope that he yeah. hope that he's healthy. If he if his value ever gets 
ticks up, try to move him. But if not, then you just then you just have yeah. him. Uh, apply for a long term injury exclusion. Yeah, if, if necessary. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I mean, it, it happens. It's part of why you and I were so so low on that trade from the Pistons' perspective, and they got some really good time from Blake Griffin too. But the the knee things were material concerns then, and again, this ties in with the Kevin Love thing that I talked about in the Cleveland section just before. Is that Detroit not exactly a free agent destination, and there are other uses of cap space, so I don't think they need to be particularly urgent about moving Blake Griffin. You just take the lump and move on when you can, and they're going to have space to work with anyway, especially now that they traded Drummond. So I I don't think that there's too much of an incentive to push, and maybe you stretch that last year depending on how things go, but you don't cross that bridge now. Yeah, and the other thing that's uh, just a lesson is when you get these guys in their late 20s who have an injury history, you could do what the Clippers did and move Blake Griffin when he still has some value or when you you can move on for him or you can do what the Cavs are doing with Kevin Love and I think this will be something that's probably going to come in next with the Blazers as they get into with CJ and Dame um you know Dame is playing at a much higher level than you know Blake or Kevin Love was when they were signed the extension but also goes out pretty darn far he's five years after this one for Lillard and so hey you know if you get into the point where you feel like hey we are just not realistically contending here and you can get something for those guys they don't get more valuable let's put it that way as time goes on and they get older uh from Spadcore, where do the pistons go from here hopefully a patient rebuild i think that's the really the only way to, to go at this point try to get real value in the draft see where christian wood's contract offers are from other teams yeah but but even him i mean i'm not like don't overpay him you, you know like i mean he's not gonna it's like okay he's a nice young piece uh but you know i mean if you're getting north of 10 million a year for him or you want to go four years for him i mean that seems like a little bit more than you might want to do too i mean it's it, it, ultimately it's just going to reduce your flexibility and perhaps you know as we get into the summer of 2021 they could be a bad money destination they you know i mean they got to go back to all these same playbooks i mean it's really just such a bummer for them that you know they're gonna get two playoff appearances out of the first rebuild that they had that started in 2009 on the upside josh smith's contract i've, I've moved i changed my excel i do a new one for the 20 slash 21 season josh smith is finally off my sheet that's pretty exciting <laughs> Uh, okay. Indiana Pacers time here. They are 36 and 24. Is this right? They're five and two since the last 15 and 60? It is. Yeah. They've won. They've won five of their last six games. Yeah. After they had gone on a, a miserable losing streak. Victor Oladipo is just very slowly rounding into form. He had to miss time with back spasms uh, last week. Obviously the, the devastating lamb injury as well. Um, where do you want to start here in terms of questions? Uh, I guess we can finish reading their stats first. Why don't I do that? Uh, 11th in the NBA net rating plus 2.9, 16th on offense, seventh on defense projecting for 47 wins, which would be sixth in the conference. They will in fact be making the playoffs now. Perhaps a question. Where I want to start is uh, with the one from NBA Stats Lab. What are your current thoughts on the Sabonis-Turner pairing in, Indi- in Indiana? Has Sabonis's rise brought more clarity or confusion to the situation? I'll run through some of the overall stuff so far. So Turner, per cleaning the glass so that filters out garbage time, Sabonis and Turner have played ni- about 1,900 possessions together, and they have a overall, they, they're outscoring opponents by four points per possessions. That's very good. And they're doing it through defense. They have the uh, a, a, basically 103.6 defensive rating, which is 
is very, very good. That's 94th percentile. And their offense has been pretty bad. Now, offense being pretty bad, you think about, okay, well, some of that is them. But some of that is also not only has Victor Oladipo missed a bunch of the season, but also Malcolm Brogdon has missed a bunch of the season too. So I would say overall, the experiment has been better than I thought. However, it has not been so much better that I would say, oh, that's definitely the path to success moving forward. And if I were Kevin Pritchard or you were listening to my advice, the weird place to be in is to listen to offers on both guys. You know, so that was the question of does Sabonis add more clarity? I think the way it added more clarity is that it, you can you can do it with the two of them, but also I think you could replace either one of them with the other and then go, you know, move, play a, a different kind of power forward or move T.J. Warren over however you want to do it. And I think that the other p- play pieces, Oladipo notwithstanding, because he's still coming back from injury, looking better. I mean, T.J. Warren being a really good player for them does really provide clarity because now you can be a little bit more aggressive with filling out the roster because you don't need as much. Who would you say is overvalued and who is undervalued right now between Turner and Sabonis? You're not, you mean just like general perception? Yeah. Sabonis is probably overvalued and Turner's, I would say Turner's team's about properly valued. I think Turner is massively undervalued because I, I may, maybe I don't know what the price is to trade for him and how much teams we willing to go. It's just you think of all these teams that are just like, man, how much would I mean, New Orleans is one of them, obviously. Like, how, how much would this unlock? I mean, we talk about all the time. There's, you know, Philly could desperately use someone, someone like that. You know, they kind of tried to find him in Horford. It didn't work out. Whoever got, got Ben Simmons in a trade could, if they move him, could really use him. Obviously, uh, you know, all of these teams that have guys who can't shoot that want to handle the ball and get to the basket miles turner really really helps you i mean and frankly when i talked about why i didn't think sabonis should be an all-star so much of what i talked about was hey he's able to do this because he's got miles turner next to him and yeah you know miles turner oh wow he's not you know when you watch him out there it's not like oh this guy is doing unbelievable stuff you know he's not having the same level of defensive campaign this year necessarily but he just allows everyone else on your team to do so the things that they do well and i do think he's very underutilized in terms of like his three-point shooting you know like i would love to see him on the jaron jackson shooting seven or eight threes a game uh but i mean there's porzingis and there's turner and there's brooke lopez and like anyone else i mean then you're getting to like Dwayne deadman and christian wood if you want guys who can shoot the ball and protect the room a little bit it's a very it's a very rare double and that's i think there is there is real value to it so and then Simonis just made the all-star team so hey like I mean I think of all the teams oh I'd love to acquire an all-star like we just got all-star Demontis Simonis like think of what we could trade him for he's so young uh, and he made the all-star team there there yeah. are some echoes of D'Angelo Russell there of like that the all-star yeah. aura could could boost his value yeah. now they'll never do that because Sabonis is apparently a god there now uh for having made this all-star team but that's uh that's a, that would be number one what I would do because I, like you said I just don't think that pairing has enough of an upside to me and we do, we've seen Sabonis struggle to get out on the floor we've seen Sabonis struggle defensively as the only center those offenses uh those offensive lineups have looked very good when Sabonis is the center but that's usually going up against bench units as well at the start of the second quarter so that, that has to be thrown in there and you know Sabonis certainly could help a lot of teams 
Um, but I mean, like, like you were saying, I would list it on both of them, but I mean, unless you're getting some overwhelming offer for Turner, like, where are you going with Sabonis as your center? Like, are you getting to a championship level there defensively? I really don't think so. Um, and question from Grant Burnett, or from 8.9 seconds, um, good benches are typically indicative of regular season success with diminishing returns in the playoffs. Pacers seem to have made the bet that depth and bench chemistry can bring them wins in the playoffs. Is this a workable strategy specifically for a small market? It is if your goal is to win games in the regular season and playoff results don't matter as much and you can make an argument that it is a lot easier given the lack of flexibility to add stars i mean considering i mean they got victor oladipo in that paul george trade that there aren't many pathways there that it can be a way to do it and i mean they got tj warren with assets because of his his contract and then they signed jeremy lamb unfortunately now he's going to be out for a while so those sorts of concepts so i think it's you know i talk a lot about the importance of defining success and that's for a very specific reason because that's what owners and general managers need to be on the same page about because other if you're not then the team is going to go with the wrong direction and so if te- if small markets are good with that if they're you know if they're good with maybe winning a couple games maybe a series every few years sure yeah i mean it's a lot better than some of the yeah. alternatives but i think the pacers like the pa- that yeah well and, and when you say the alternative i don't think there are any alternatives right and i think the alternative would be i guess like trying to get higher profile free agents than they have I don't even really know Which, how they do that. Like, they yeah, get the, right, they exactly. Get the best and, guys I mean, they can get. I mean, well, and and their their free agent track record, frankly, is admirable. I I would say. I mean, yeah. Lamb was working out fine as a contract. Um, you know, TJ McConnell again. You know, not really a playoff player, but you know, he's kept them afloat for a long time in this regular season uh, with some of their depth with Oladipo out. Brogdon has looked like a a total value signing uh, as well. I mean, not like all-star level but not a bad contract like some people thought uh, they've really uh, even mcdermott who we kind of panned a little bit he's shooting incredibly well from three seven million year is not terrible for him frankly even if you're overpaying by like a couple of million when you're doing that in free agency and you're also not giving out a four-year deal you know if even going back to tyreek evans you're like hey maybe they should have tried to get tyreek on a longer contract ah well <laughs> that, that probably wouldn't have worked out too well um so i think they they largely have done a pretty darn good job with their acquisitions in free agency with the cap spaces they've kind of rolled over the monte ellis year you know that was pretty bad the trade fatigue but that was under the larry bird regime and i think since pritchard has taken over uh they've done a very solid job in free agency overall and so i think it's a viable strategy in comparison to any of the other alternatives especially with the personnel that they already have and i think if they don't get to being you know a true conference finals level of contender it's not going to be because they're free agent signing it's going to be just because their main guys weren't good enough let's jump to miami they are 38 and 22 two and two since last 1560 they are ninth in net rating plus 3.5 seventh in offense 14th in defense continuing to drop there projected for 50 wins which would put them fifth in the east and they're going to make the playoffs i want uh, i want to actually start with this question from um jan studebaker or yawn either way um uh, yeah i think he's i think he's a yawn he seems like a yawn um so it's it's more of a statement than a question but basically he talks about how the heat the heat should go after fred van vliet this offseason and there are parts of it that i really like i think that pairing van vliet with jimmy butler makes sense because both guys can you know like van vliet can do more off the ball than some other nominal point 
guards, also he can defend, which fits in beautifully with what Miami's doing. And Miami, you know, depending on where Van Vliet's contract goes, and we don't know exactly where that's going to be, he fits in well with a lot of different theories of good players. So unless you're getting a star point guard, which the 2021 class, if Miami's going big game hunting, doesn't really have those types of guys. That's not the that's not the strength unless you want to go older with somebody like Drew Holiday, which is entirely possible. Drew would also be a really good fit. So I would seriously consider it. There is definitely a number that I think would be unreasonable, and I don't. I think there's a number that could be unreasonable for Toronto too. But in terms of the fit, yeah, I'm on board with it. So here are what their books look like at the moment: 26 million in cap space this summer. That you think might be enough to to get Vanderbilt. He's definitely kind of a Heat player. Um, and then next year you know presumably it's not a one-year deal for van vliet next year only looking at 51 million in space that includes the 15 million dollar cap hold of bam Adebayo. and so if you do get van vliet and you want to have room for a seven to nine year max 37 million in the summer of 2021 and actually my estimate is probably too high for the summer of 2021 at 125 million i need to fix that i'm i'm gonna lower that down to like 120 now but to try to be more conservative about it so say you got 46 million in space that year you don't have anything on the books other than jimmy butler that's a big salary that you can get rid of to open up more van vliet's gonna probably cost you 20 million a year so now you're down to 31 million you don't really have a great place to go to get that 37 million so you probably are going to be impacted maybe you could move van vliet whatever and then also now you're hamstrung in that you got to wait until restricted free agency to re-sign Adebayo to use that 15 million dollar well, capital which maybe they will anyway way, probably yeah, may, maybe that's the case. But, you know, we've seen that engender a little bit of resentment in the past uh, with Kawhi Leonard, for example, uh, waiting. I don't think that was particularly rational by Kawhi, but, you know, players aren't always rational there. And, and they might want to, it's a lot harder to ask for any kind of a discount at all below the max when you're right there in restricted free agency and bam out of Iowa. I mean, that summer of 2021, he's got plenty of suitors for the teams that strike out of the big boys there. So, uh, you know, you're probably, you might be costing yourself a more difficult contract without a bio. And let's see too. I mean, I think if it's like, oh man, they got to game seven of the East finals and they are like in position to maybe win next year. Yeah. Then maybe I might go after Van Fleet, but I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that, especially he's, I think a pretty good fit next to Butler. He can shoot it. Not a guy I think is going to age incredibly well because he struggles to get to the room. It's, it's an interesting, I probably spent too much time on this already. So maybe let's move on to some other ones but i'm not as on board because i don't think it ultimately puts you into some new stratum where you're now competing for the championship when you weren't before but uh, along those same lines why don't you take this one danny joystick gaming asks uh how confident are you that the miami heat can make the eastern conference final not particularly confident especially because it looks pretty likely right now you know not definite but they're they're four games behind the raptors and celtics in the loss column and i think both those teams are better and you know like 538 the elo projection puts them five games behind the raptors for third so that means you're on the same side of the bracket as the bucks and so if we're talking making the conference finals it's how confident are you that they can beat both the sixers or the pacers and the bucks and i am not confident I, I, i like the way they match up with the bucks just relative to the 
quality of the two teams because of their really good three-point shooting yeah the the variance theory you know the idea that yeah bam decent matchup on Giannis as well yeah and they have and they have some of those bigger forwards now not that I think can do a great job on Giannis but maybe slow him down a little bit however if Bam gets they've got the zone too which might be able to kind of mess things up a a little bit that that's something that they could maybe pull out against the Bucks you know you could say that they have a better a better chance than one would expect based on the relative quality of the two teams but the Bucks are still damn good yeah, I mean, it's not uh, your preferred matchup. And, and I mean, it's looking like it could be Philly. And we'll see. I certainly would for, for, uh, favor Philly in that first-round series, assuming that they're all healthy. We'll see yeah, if and, they... I mean, Boston and Toronto yeah. are both good teams, too. And, you know, the problem with making the conference finals is you're probably going to have to go through two good teams as a, you know, as the four, five, or six. And that's a lot to ask. Okay. Yeah, and, and uh, that, that hits on Oren's question as well about whether Miami can bother the Bucks' offense with the personnel in the zone and yeah maybe I mean if they and Miami gives up a fair number of threes as well and I mean the Bucks I think the Bucks are much more vulnerable on offense than on defense and Miami can maybe you know you've got Duncan Robinson you've got Hero you can you know even someone like a Linick or Myers Leonard could play some and get hot and you know the, those shots are going to be available for those guys those are 40 percent three-point shooters now you know if Miami or, or if Milwaukee decides we're going to go with Marvin Williams and Giannis and we're going to go a little bit smaller and you know a little bit more versatile defensively then can they score I'm not sure about that um let's talk about the aforementioned Milwaukee Bucks here the Bucks are 52 and 8 7 and 1 since last 1560 course number one net rating plus 12.4 second in offense first in defense 538 projects they will win 67 games which is first and they're obviously making the playoffs I want to do a couple of these we got a lot of Bucks questions I want to do a couple of them quickly first uh from Buck to basics does Chris Middleton have a shot at all NBA I had him on my all NBA team last time we haven't done our words yet for through February yeah we gotta do that this yeah, week we'll do huh? that this week but the answer is both in terms of my board yes and overall yes i mean a lot of times especially voters like to give credit to multiple players on really good teams so there is a narrative argument for middleton also the forward crop depending on how a few players get defined isn't so strong this year so i I think he'll have he'll have a decent chance i'm not saying it's like definite or anything like that but yeah he has a shot um then the other one i wanted to do quickly was from um from seymour cox 14 always fun thing like that um if the bucks don't make the finals this year are we officially putting them in the regular season team only category until further notice no no i mean th- there are so many other reasons why they could not make it what well, uh, oh if they don't make the nba finals, NBA finals. not win but just, just make, make it, it. Um, but they are heavier favorites this year than they were last year, so it would be it would be yeah. I, I mean, regular season team only. I mean, yeah, it depends on the you know if they barely lose you know and Philly just like goes crazy. I mean, I think if they lose or Boston just like you know it depends on the manner. But I mean, I'd say more likely than not, you would have to acknowledge that they are a little bit of a paper tiger. Yeah, I'd say at, that at a minimum. But the theory of the team to me is still sound. Um. Can the Bucks defense be more attributed to stars or scheme as Andre Lou? Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's both. Because what? I think it's heavily both, but it's just I mean, it's just a beautiful marriage of both, isn't it? It is. But I I mean what I lean back on this is we we've had the discussion a couple different times and we probably will later this week about Giannis's defensive player of the year case. And I think that if you had a less capable four in their scheme, it would make a big difference. And obviously Brook Lopez is a monster as well. So I if we're counting him as a star, I think the scheme wouldn't do nearly as well without other people, but the scheme is also partially because of those guys. So it's I it, it's hard. But I would say 
stars over scheme because I think it would take some. It would it would drop off in effectiveness. Like the the rim dominance wouldn't be the same without players this game. Oh <sighs> yeah, I, I mean that that's definitely true. But a lot of it too is just you know the perimeter guys even you know really kind of almost over helping off of the three point line and being okay with giving up threes, especially above the break. I mean it's and we saw that yeah. You know, granted, they got Brook Lopez and he's been massive for them, and now they got Robin this year too. And uh, you know they only had Eric Bledsoe for a shorter time uh, under the old scheme, but I mean they made a incredible improvement from being a crappy defense to being awesome and also you know they're they have a good defense no matter who's on the floor you know it's not like they crater when Giannis or Brooke Lopez goes out now they've got Robin Lopez too but you know Robin Lopez has been on plenty of bad defense in his career um here do you want to do this one yeah. from too much hoops I think we I don't think we need to dwell on it but how would you rank the two to yeah. six seeds in the east in terms of their percentage chance of beating Milwaukee in a series if they were to match up because that sure they're yes. I, I, I'm uh especially given philly's health issues and especially given ben simmons health issues that are not encouraging for me as of this recording i'd probably go with boston number one i would too do you agree yeah Yeah. probably philly two i might actually put miami ahead of toronto i'm gonna go toronto over miami just because i I think toronto's defense is really intriguing in a series like you know they have yeah yeah maybe they could make it a rock fight a little bit more Uh, i mean i I like miami's offensive chance i I, like siakam really is worrying me uh, against this bucks team for toronto i I just don't see how toronto is going to be able to generate anything inside the arc at all and then the pacers last yeah uh yeah yeah the pacers have really struggled these last couple years against the bucks when they're fully healthy and they don't they don't take enough threes like that's yeah uh let's see here will the milwaukee bucks get to 70 wins it's kind of interesting one i don't think so um they're they're good their schedule's hard their schedule's hard they don't have the structural incentives because nobody's pushing them so i think they'll you know give Giannis some rest and they know like this is yeah if they're at like 68 and there are two games left in the season then maybe they'll do it you know that sort of a circumstance but they're gonna have to get there yeah it's interesting though hollinger made this point which i thought was an interesting one that's why i called it interesting god i'm really getting delirious at the this point <laughs> uh that okay yeah you, want, you might call them a regular season team but Giannis is playing what 32 minutes a game it's incredible like like maybe it's actually the bucks that have another gear so i i wouldn't totally discount that they can get there just because their system is just that good i mean we'll see now if they go into the uh tim frazier memorial 2-3 zone that they played a couple of games down the stretch last year then uh you know all bets are off at that point but i mean you'd like to think that they if they're close they would at least go for it right i i I hope so i mean i think when people talk about how the regular season doesn't mean anything anymore the warriors winning 73 games and not winning the championship i think that's what like officially killed the regular season well especially because that changed the way some teams approach rest and everything else too precisely yeah and it's just like hey number one you're never gonna do anything that's gonna like make for something more compelling than this and number two rightly or wrongly people blamed that push for them not winning well and something else just briefly i looking at the bucks end of the season schedule their last four games are against teams that are either not competing or not 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 really robust right now so brooklyn cleveland atlanta brooklyn and some of those teams might get up for that game you know they might be circling it and saying hey we'll we'll, we'll put our things together and see if we can knock off the buck but 
if, they, if they, basically if they get through it clean cleanish before that then it becomes a lot more manageable but they have like you know like a home and home with toronto and then at boston at philly before that so that'll be brutal but let's go to the knicks the knickerbockers are 18 and 42 one and three since last 1560 26th in net rating 29th in offense 22nd in defense 538 projects they will win 24 games which is second to last in the east they are not making the playoffs um do we want to start with the one that asks you specifically to rank the up-and-coming knicks superstars <laughs> yes uh knox frankie Dennis Smith Jr., Mitchell Robinson, and Barrett. If you wanted to say who are the ones who have the greatest chance of becoming a superstar, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Barrett is number one. And uh, crazy as to say, Dennis Smith Jr. is number two just because of his athletic gifts still. Oh, I, 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 I have Smith significantly lower. Well, a, a chance of becoming a superstar. Well, not I think, I think we them. should just treat this as straight up rankings. Not, I think he just was optimistic in calling them superstars or sarcastic. Uh, well, I, I, I was just choosing to take it in, in that way. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Smith Smith is probably last. I mean, he just... Although, the one thing that makes me hopeful is he's been so bad that you just think there has to be, like, just something wrong with him that could be cured, but sometimes that's not the case. Man, those point guards in the top 10 of the 2017 draft, it's some uh, mysterious falls for those guys. Um Oh, no, you got anything to add on that one? Um, So I think that you kind of have different tiers here. So I would say you have Barrett and, and Mitchell Robinson. I would go with Barrett over Robinson because I'm not a full believer in Robinson's defense. Then offensively, he's efficient, but not like dominant. You know, it's a different type of player. Like his true shooting, I think last I checked, he was number one in the league. But it's not this, he's not like this force. It's just that he dunks everything and he's good at dunking. Um, Then I would say those two guys are kind of separate. Then Knox in his own and then Frank and Dennis Smith Jr. I mean, neither one of those guys moves the needle too much for me, but that's kind of that's kind of how the overall the overall tiers work. I'm um, moving on to a question about kind of about Kevin Knox, and I'll do the one from we got we got kind of a couple involving him, but the one from um, Bird Up over under on Kevin Knox becoming a solid role player. My instinct is is no. I think that his his jump shot isn't reliable enough for me. Like the theory of him offensively, yeah. he's shooting 37 percent from the field. Yeah, this shooting 37 percent. I mean, he's been he's been bad from two both years he's shooting 40 percent on twos this year and that's an improvement off of last year he's been bad yeah. defensively and you have to be a certain requisite of good in order to use the positional value there so it's it's certainly possible that he's a solid. you know who he reminds me of a little bit is uh mario hazonia interesting like you see he seems like he's that's kind of like the path that he's on you know combo forward size in theory but does you know could move his feet in an iso but doesn't really have great feel purported shooter but the ball's not really going in for him uh you know probably takes too many shots now the one thing that i think is a potential saving grace is just as we talked about with all these Knicks guys they have no spacing it's hard to shoot a good percentage on twos when you can't get all the way to the basket so uh and, and he's a little younger than Mario, so like I'm not giving up completely on no. him yet. But but like if you were to say um, right now, is, are the odds of him becoming a, a solid rotation player? So let's say top seven yeah. on a good team. Do you think those odds are 50 percent or, or higher? No, no, I, I think it's more likely than not that he just. I mean, he's going to keep getting chances due to his physical profile and you know the fact that he can shoot the ball pretty well in an empty gym. I mean, Hazonia kept getting chances too, right? But uh, 
that Including said by the next last year yeah yeah that that said though i mean i think if you it's more likely than not that we're going to look at him as you know not a player who was ever a big contributor to winning uh what about uh frank nilakino we had uh bird up also asked about uh the median outcome for him at this point the most important thing for a point guard size guy to be able to do is create reliable offense for himself and teammates and frank can't he hasn't proven the ability to do that he is capable defensively you know i would say more in theory than in practice but he has done it in in, in games as well so median outcome for me is he you know kind of a a player who keeps getting chances i'd be like that the idea that he can become more chris dunn than shaq harrison so i think he'll be in the league for a little while and of course if he ever wants to go to europe he can but i would say the median outcome is like maybe like somewhere between the ninth and twelfth player on a on a team's rotation um last question here team tusk could julius randall be traded in the offseason for some kind of matching expiring contract i mean i thought your charlotte one was an interesting i mean it's just a team that's like desperately needs to get better offensively and you know julius randall's another one of these guys by the way danny where hey if you had like a miles turner type he looks a hell of a lot better all of a sudden right so and, and one i mean that crazy, actually one crazy thing though is there aren't yeah. that many teams like of the bad teams that are desperate for like offense uh there are a couple but there aren't that many i mean like orlando like if they moved on from aaron gordon all right I'm going to, maybe the buzzer saved me I think, here. I think it did. <laughs> but let's move on to those Orlando Magic. They are 27 and 33, 10 and 13 since the last 1560. They were in that first batch. Uh, negative one net rating is 16th, 24th in offense, 8th in defense. 538 projects them to win 38 games, which is 7th in the Eastern Conference. They are making the playoffs. ELO actually gives them a 2% chance of not making it. Where do you want to go first here? I'll let you pick that one since I uh, just tied my tongue in knots trying to find a home for Julius Randle on the last one. So uh, I, I should probably just shut up for a while. Uh, so we got a couple of different questions about Aaron Gordon and kind of his fit on the Magic. And I, I wanted to kind of give a little bit of just kind of an update on where things are. He, he's such, because he's been in the league such a long time, you get into these weird these weird kind of states with players like that where, you know, and, and you know, for example, his true shooting, his best year was his second year, which was 15 which is a long time ago and gordon at this point you know he's deep into his second contract he's still only 24 years old he'll turn 25 shortly before the start of the next season has he reached his ceiling i don't think so i think that there's there's offensively he i think that what it can what it is is that he i don't think he's going to grow his game dramatically but i think he can be a more efficient version of what he has been and that's that's important and then defensively he could get stronger and that can be useful and so i I think that there is some room to grow and i think that sometimes the improvement that a guy who comes in the league young can, can be understated but i think that the overall value for him is not going to be transformed i don't think there's like some other gear that he has that we haven't seen yet how optimistic as uh tom koch how optimistic should the magic be about Fultz's development alfred payton redux or something more i think it's closer to alfred payton redux at this point i think he's got more athleticism than him the three-point shooting is not there. He still needs to do some more surgery. You know, free throw shooting, 74%, that's okay. But he's not getting to the line that much. And, you know, this is a team that has really struggled to shoot. And another team that he hasn't had the space. I think he's helped their pace a lot. It's been something that they've needed defensively. He's been totally fine. But he hasn't been, he never was just an absolutely overwhelming athlete from that position. He was a very good one. He's got, had a lot of moves off the dribble. 
but what really unlocked him was the ability to shoot that jumper especially we had hoped shoot it off the dribble from three and that 24 percent from three not a high attempt rate that's just not even close to being there and until further notice we're going to assume that that's not going to return for him and the free throw rate is low i think he really needs to find a way to get to the line more he is shooting it pretty well at the basket you know that's a big part of his game he's had some highlights but when you say how optimistic should they be again point guard heavy draft coming up here they might even have the possibility of trading up for a point guard i am not saying yeah we got it solved here with marco fultz at point guard he is going to be under contract for next year they exercise his option that's a, a decision you and i didn't agree with especially given how early it was but t- seems like it worked out okay i think that that's reasonable to have done that for them now yeah. and and uh you know he can go into next year as the starter but i don't consider the position solved especially because their big problem is that they can't score and they have been searching and searching and searching for you know since jameer nelson's 2009 all-star campaign to find that guy who can really be that massive pick and roll threat off the dribble uh, and drive this offense to even you know a competitive level and they got to continue that search you can't just give up on it because you have marco Fultz. along those lines this paralleling incidentally not that i'm saying there's some more players anyway zach levine there is a big difference in orlando's half court offensive success when fultz is on and off the floor but they're still not good particularly when he's been on they have a 90 four offensive rating in the half court and that's below league average that's below the median and you could argue depending on injuries and personnel but i mean there's starting five half court personnel isn't terrible i mean vooch is a better offensive center than most fournay's had this molten shooting season that we've talked about at length before and yeah they have forwards that have some limitations they've had a lot of injuries but that's you know in many ways that's the most important thing for a point guard in their system to do and that has not been a strength in Fultz's game so as you said i mean really the functional part here is how does it affect your decision making and to me it's does not preclude taking a point guard if you think that's the best player available especially when you consider having multiple bites at that apple is one of the big mistakes that they made in the first place all right we got a minute left here hit this one quick market value of vucevic's contract would Orlando have to give up a first round to move him i don't think so uh uh, uh cali wingspanson solid uh solid name there uh he suggests a vooch buddy healed swap uh i mean they kind of got terrence ross who's like sort of buddy healed already uh, i think well, i think the idea um, the, the idea it, there would be i think that you replace fournier with healed yeah but i i mean i think fournier might be better than healed he, he's certainly more versatile uh with passing and defense and off the dribble play uh healed healed's defense is what has him out of the starting lineup now uh and we may look back on that season that got him that huge contract extension as his career year two so no i, I wouldn't make that vooch healed swap i mean vooch is still very important to what they're doing do you want to talk about this bomba one is our last one here well, no here, here's one other point i want to make and this is okay do you want to guess how how far apart evan fournier and buddy healed are in age now oh yeah they're like the yeah, same a month and a half so yeah. it's not like the, the, there's sometimes because when a player comes in later and all that type of stuff it's the, the perception but i mean those guys are the same age and at this point they're healed is deep enough into his career that you wouldn't expect him to have this like late late bloomer growth that you know everything else so the idea oh we're getting younger nope you're not all right, well, I guess we'll have to uh, talk Mo Bamba at some other time then. Yeah, we'll I, I want to do, do a, a more detailed scout on him, him anyway, so I think that's I think that works out. So instead, we can go to the Philadelphia 76ers. They are 37-24, and 2-2 two and two since the last 15-60. and 60. They are 12th in net rating, plus, plus 2.7, 17th in offense, 5th in defense. 538 projects them to win 51 games, which would be 4th in the East. They're going to make the playoffs, and the place we have to start with them is not really a Q&A. It's the degree to which they are the walking wounded. Yeah, we've talked about Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid going to be 
reevaluated this week after his shoulder issue but he's never been the fastest of healers himself shake milton did have 39 Oof. points including an, an nba record over the course of two games 14 straight made three-pointers but they did uh, lose to la the clippers nonetheless uh david mcguff does tyler johnson move the needle for them as a pensional buyout guy yeah he'd be great for them if he was the guy that he was three four years ago but unfortunately i think the injuries have just totally caught up to him but like if he were any good phoenix desperately needed what he in theory provides and yeah i mean you might take a look at some of these guys bring them in maybe even if it's only on a 10 day try it out but i think ultimately the odds are he's probably he doesn't have it anymore which is too bad i mean it's not that old but i think just all these nagging injuries that he had his hard-nosed style play ended up catching up to him the ball just wasn't going in the basket for him either you know he kind of made his mark got that big four-year 50 million dollar offer sheet based on the fact that he was shooting the ball well and he looked like he could be a quality third guard for a long time and and that just really ended up not and happening there's a broader point to be made there which is when even though this isn't rigidly tyler johnson the three and d wing guard whatever they are we've talked about how it can be hard sometimes to evaluate the three or the d it can also be that it changes you know that the three was going in but that it stops going in and that they you know that that maybe they weren't as good a shooter in the first place so that's another thing that can happen ah uh, elton brand is fired tomorrow tomorrow you are hired as gm of the sixers because of your podcasting skills and given five years of job security what is your overall strategic approach to fixing things and leveraging the two stars that you have oh boy i mean they're because the sixers are among the least flexible team in the league in terms of overall salary i mean they yeah, I, I, I mean you probably got to try and move al horford if you can right now i mean this this is the the kevin love blake griffin thing all over again right like if there's still a team that's like hey we'd love to have al, al horford as our starting center at that price right now and you can get back expirings for him i think you probably would do it because you're just i don't think ownership is going to let you go more than 15 million into the tax and you're just not going to have any flexibility at all and you're just it's clear that he can't play power forward right now and he's not getting you're not getting the production and setting up this defensive monster i mean you know you can't make any moves until after the playoffs maybe the playoffs will prove that this whole thing is going to work and al horford will make shots when you know Embiid is on the floor which you know seems like kind of bad luck that he hasn't done that yet and and maybe we feel differently about it um but you know it could be there everyone's injured in the playoffs you never get to see it and you probably got to try and move so that would be step one to me is just and then probably start trading some of these seconds some of these first just try to get some more role players in there who will work and then hope that ben simmons and joel Embiid are just that good i mean i think that's ultimately where you end and up i would listen to offers on simmons but i don't you know you don't trade him for pennies on the dollar or anything that to be he's a, he's a very good basketball player yeah. and i think there i think there is more untapped potential with the Embiid Embiid simmons pairing i know there have been people been trying to break it up for years and you know if you get the right offer i would do it but i don't know what that would be uh this is a, a good one i want to mention just or something i want to talk about briefly from connor of pure uh, if you could rebuild the tobias harris trade for philly what pieces do you send instead of Shamit? why didn't they try to include Fultz? second part first they didn't try to include Fultz because the clippers had had no interest in Fultz because he you know didn't have value for them you know like basically why didn't they the Clippers, they would have declined the option. I, he was remember Fultz is getting paid a bunch of money this year, and the Clippers need to clear space in the worst way. They didn't want to. They didn't want that. So that would have been a negative value contract. Then they have Philly has to give up even more. And considering they got out of Fultz pretty clear, that makes total sense from from Philly's perspective to go in another direction. I think the biggest reason that I opposed the Tobias Harris trade from Philly's perspective was that they gave up too much. And so I think I think the Clippers would have done the trade even without Shamit in it at all. Like I think you could have pulled Shamit. You could have pulled one of the first 
and they still do it easily. They didn't. It didn't sound like they even wanted to pay Harris in the first place. Yeah, I think you're right about that. They didn't know they were getting Kawhi, and maybe they would, might have circled back. But I think they wanted to just move on because. And as it turned out, Kawhi waited until July 6th to make his decision, and Harris would have been long gone by that point. Probably to Philadelphia. To move on from. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe so. Uh, will the Sixers fulfill their defensive potential during the playoffs? Or did we overrate their defensive ceiling coming into the season? Asks the great one. Defensive ceiling, it's hard to say. I mean, we've seen them play amazing defense in certain games, like that Bucks game uh, on Christmas, for example. But so it's hard to say if we overrated their ceiling. They've had a couple of games where they've looked like that, right? So, and they've had a bunch of injuries. Now, if you want to say, do we overrate their regular season defense? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Th- that's fair. They've also dealt with some injuries. Um, We about ready? Uh, Got one more here. Joe McGinley, would the Sixers be better if they traded Horford for Love in the offseason? I don't think so because Love just, Embiid is your center. And so now Love is going to play power forward defensively. He's too slow to do that. He can't cover any ground out on the floor. So I, I, I don't think that they would be i mean offensively he would really help them a lot but they need someone who can also defend it well and somebody position. who's not a versatile defender in any way shape or form it would be it would it would screw up a lot of the concept of their defense yeah I'm, I'm not i'm not a big fan of that uh let's jump to toronto the raptors are 42 and 18 three and four since last 1560 they are fourth in the league in net rating 15th in defense second in offense 530 yeah. projects they will win 56 games which puts them third in the east and of course they're making the playoffs we can start briefly. Got, yeah, got a lot of good we, questions we do. on these guys. Uh, I want to start with this one from Elon Sim. How important is getting home court in a potential Celtics-Raptors matchup? I think it's very important. And those two teams are both incredibly good. I think they, they're they well coached. And so not only is it, you know, getting an extra home game, but getting a potential game seven at home is, is a big, big advantage. So um, I, Kevin Pelton's talked about this before that, you know, home court has mattered less in recent years. But I think that's more, you know, kind of a styles makes fights thing rather than some sort of big structural change so i think it's i think it's huge and i think that's part of why those teams should both push and obviously the difference between facing the six and the seven seed where the seven seed is probably going to be really bad and the six seed will be atlanta or sorry not atlanta indiana which is significantly more viable uh joseph giordano who are potential buyout candidates remaining that you think the raptors should target um well he mentioned tristan thompson but it is now past march 1st and he has not been bought out so he will not be playoff eligible also i don't think tristan assuming mercosol actually is eligible to play for them i don't think he would have moved the needle for her. yeah no that's true i mean i'm sure as a canadian it'd be nice to have him back there but uh ibaka and gasol are both better than him uh, i i think actually there's probably no one ability to help them in the playoffs but just one more point guard to like so van vliet and lowry don't have to play 40 minutes a game that would have been nice that might be nice uh Matty Gray, Terrence Davis, and Matt Thomas have fit in very well offensively, but how do they fit in defensively? Thomas, you obviously have concerns about because his lack of athleticism that's why he didn't have an nba career up until now i I think he can play a role in spots but he doesn't necessarily have the experience in the nba game of someone like reddick or corver and we've even seen those guys get attacked plenty but thomas doesn't really know how to deal with that so i I don't imagine he's gonna play that much davis i've been pretty impressed with his ability to pressure the ball i think he's better playing down defending smaller players than bigger players He's kind of a shooting guard and he might end up having to play a little bit more more small forward than they might like but no i've been really impressed by his effort he shot it well i don't know if the shooting is going to sustain to quite that level but no certainly it was a massive oversight that he wasn't drafted and, and i expect him to 
be in the playoff rotation question from from oc91 what is pascal siakam's ceiling i've thought for a while that it's probably like the equivalent of like second team all nba you know like sixth through tenth best player in the league that he could get yeah he could get there you know he can be we've seen this year i mean the raptors have been a very good but not elite offense when he's been on the floor that's a big ask of pascal siakam and the defense has been great he's taken a little bit less of a dominant role there but still an important one of course and that general profile even if you project out improvement over the next couple of years you know that's that's really where that gets in and so like the sixth through 10th or 11th best player in the league and that's damn good Kell of a man asks how does this Raptors squad compare to the Damar Lowry teams and I think it's better uh Siakam is better than anyone who was on those teams their I think defensive talent is just so much better and they had pretty but good defensive also talent including on those their coach too. I mean not that Dwayne Casey was yeah. bad but I mean Nick Nurse might be the best defensive yeah. coach in the league yeah, I mean, and Ibaka was on some of those. I mean, remember one of those teams had PJ Tucker on it too. The the, uh, the seventeen team. Um, but you also don't have uh, uh, the beauty of it is you don't have DeRozan, so there isn't a place to attack. And so, yeah, their defense is better than any of those teams. I would say overall. Also, Marcus Gasol adding the stretch element at the five. They're just smarter. They have better passing. Uh, just a more versatile group. And as you mentioned, that includes the, co- the coach. So I think uh, they compare favorably to those teams. Don't have maybe the same type of depth as some of those teams have, but ultimately that probably doesn't matter that much in the play. Uh, just quickly, this one from Mark Queen. What should the Raptors do with Gasol and Ibaka? I'm assuming he means his free agents this summer. And I would not really be comfortable, unless they took a lot less than market value, to give both either of those guys significant money beyond next season just because the Raptors have flexibility that is a loaded free agent class and if the goal is you know if it's championship slash NBA finals or bust that's the opportunity to to make to get the game changer and also I don't think that Gasol and Ibaka are so good that you're willing to forego that opportunity but if they want if they want to take a one-year deal I would give them a lot more money because now Toronto already gave up their flexibility there by extending Lowry and Siakam so yeah if they if they want to do that I would I would be totally fine with yeah and I think they're they're probably going to prioritize Van Vliet more than those guys but uh, so let's say Van Vliet makes 20 million next year then you've still got about 30 million below the tax if you wanted to bring those guys back Uh, Chris Boucher also restricted free agent Mm -hmm. this year so that's another person they might might not mind having i'd be interested to see what his market looks like because he he is someone who could protect the rim and shoot a little bit he's probably too thin to be a starter but someone who maybe could play that kind of a role um and ibaka and gasol may have uh some suitors it's just a question of uh, is it going to be above the mid-level exception yeah, or money, not? money so, and role and yeah. city and yeah role. and maybe ibaka wants to start again yeah. you know i mean he felt like he's he's won a championship in toronto and now he wants to go somewhere and be a starter um Okay, last time, Washington Wizards. 22 and 37, 2 and 2 since the last 1560, including a win tonight in San Francisco. They are 25th in net rating, 14th in offense, dead last in defense. 538 projects them to finish a robust ninth in the East at 31 wins. Good lord. I mean, the, the bottom. 17% chance of the playoffs per ELO. Or I'm sorry, no, that's for Raptor. ELO gives them 7%. Correct. Um, so again, I, I'm just going to do this one briefly from um, Claudio X Castro. How would you handle? the john wall albatross contract moving forward same basic thing as blake griffin grin and barrett unless he improves his value enough that you think you can move it i mean their their lack of flexibility is is just there and so you just roll with it as long as you can and so what does he have left three years after this one or two here i've got it the answer is three years after this one 
Uh, sorry, I think you should say the other part of it. Three years and $133 million. <sighs> I, I think all the Wizards fans are, are from with that. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think you got to hold on. If there were two years left, maybe there's some chance. Uh, I mean, I think you got to just bring him back. Maybe you bring him back on just this crazy offense team again that they've had this year. Have him play with Thomas Bryan and Mo Wagner and Bertans play next to Beal and just run like crazy and maybe he puts up some numbers and then maybe there's a team that strikes out in 2021 free agency that just really needs a point guard and it could possibly be talked into it and maybe you can get some assets for taking back some bad salary for them but it's uh man 44 million and 47 million those last two years oh sorry i forgot they're they're aware of that we shouldn't say that anymore. um yeah i mean you just gotta hope to play with them i guess I, I mean it's really more about that's a sunk cost and maybe you acknowledge that you do something with beal because you have this sunk cost of wall that's not going anywhere anywhere and you can't win with Beal so you better trade him I mean that's kind of more what it boils down to for that's me. how I would see it as well best case scenario for Rui Hachimura's development uh another question suggesting that maybe that would be Rudy Gay huh uh you know I don't think Hachimura is as dynamic driving to the basket particularly off of one foot as a finisher you know I see Gay really when he broke into the league was more of a three Hachimura to me is really more of a pure four at this point um you know he does have the mid-ranger that's uh, certainly something that rudy also i think hachimura might actually be able to be a little bit more efficient for mid-range i also think hachimura's individual defensive tools are better than gays uh but i think gay as a shooter a little bit more natural and you know transition as a driver with the ball is really good now hachimura maybe is a more natural role man especially you know let's say if he's playing some minutes with guys like Berton and Wagner but no I mean I, I I think they would be ecstatic if he turns out to be Rudy Gay and they both drafted number nine but uh, I don't think he'll have as good of a career as Rudy Gay yeah I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical too and then yeah the defensive end of the war is going to be really important especially Hashimura if he's not good enough to defend the other team's best forwards then he has to be really good offensively and be capable defensively like that that it's such a hard thing to ask for a, a forward in the modern NBA if, if you're going to kind of take that as prerequisite I don't think he has those defense jobs yeah, Harrison Barnes has been another frequent comparison for Hachimura, but again, I think Barnes shoots a much easier ball from three than Hachimura. Well, and also, um, but and also I, the I frequency do, of Hachimura's attempts—he's shooting two point, yeah. he's shooting two threes per thirty-six minutes. Now, Hachimura is a much better finisher than I would Barnes. Agree. You know, I'll give him that. Uh, but Barnes is really, you know, probably a better defender as a conventional out on the floor defender uh, of opposing threes, whereas Hachimura again is really, you know, he played the four Barnes was always a face the basket guy and Hachimura was really more of a big in college and is working on this mid-ranger which he's developed very nicely but you know he's not been a guy who you know is like brought the ball up in AAU and like tried to attack off the dribble you know those are the kind of guys that Rudy Gay and Harrison Barnes grew up as so yeah it's interesting to see I mean he does work very hard I think but he doesn't have a ton of feel which is why maybe Gay and Barnes have also been made the comparison for him I don't know is there anyone else who sticks out to you I mean you know I think he's 
more likely than not my guess is he's kind of like bench scorer type unless you just have like a lot of the right pieces around him right and if you have if but you I, have I don't, a lot yeah. of those right pieces then you could get somebody else too you know like that's i don't think he's gonna be yeah or maybe he's like a small ball switching center yeah, that could be maybe that's what it becomes and it's him. not like their other options are good defensively and that ties in with the question i want to yeah. do from pulling the chair if john wall comes back next year and looks like a decent starter what is the upside for the whiz next year and i, I think their offense could be very good it already has been yeah. and also i think it'd be like the six of the seventh seed right and but their defense is still gonna suck i mean maybe they the opponents That's right. don't shoot well i mean you could you could see an aberrational thing like that but let's say they have like a top 10 offense then they're still going to need to be about a league average defense to be a 500 team. I mean, that's like, you know, you need to be 15 to 20, you know, probably in that range to do it just because of the way the league is going. So, I mean, you could also argue, well, maybe you don't need to be around league average to make it the playoffs in the East, but there are teams that could be better next year. Who knows? So, yeah, I would say, you know, they can make the playoffs, but I wouldn't expect them to win a playoff series. Last question here. Nate Sky Shabazz. Got it. Shaz Napier uh, has put up some numbers in Washington. He seems to produce when he gets minutes. Why hasn't he had any stability in his career? The reason is that he's small, number one. He really can't do a ton inside the well, arc. And he, he's not good enough to start. Yeah. And, and it, now you would have thought, I mean, there have been plenty of guys, you know, Ish Smith got six million this year, right? Like, I think Napier might be better than Ish Smith. You know, he's not, Ish has a little bit more driving ability, but Napier can play off the ball a lot more. I don't think there's a huge difference between them defensively, but he's just, he's short he's got short arms playing in the playoffs defensively would probably be a major problem for him but i think he's a totally adequate backup point guard i i do think he should have gotten a little bit more traction but if you want to know why i mean i think that maybe it's even just the perception that the heat only drafted him because of lebron james and there was like a backlash to that when he didn't establish his career there. and the other thing too is when a guy gets dumped by a couple of teams i mean he's actually been straight up dumped by three teams miami orlando and then golden state this year just of like hey we want to get off of your salary and that just when that happens to you that negatively affects your reputation a lot but it's just it's because he's small and he's not a very forceful player but and he suffers some injuries that are ill-timed every once in a while so uh, i mean I th- those are the explanations i don't think those are particularly compelling reasons i think he's you know could have helped a lot of teams as a backup point guard are we done here mercifully yes <laughs> well listen to hollinger and duncan gonna be actually coming out on monday we're doing coach rankings which is gonna be awesome uh anything you wanted to talk about yeah i had rob mahoney on uh real jam radio it came out on friday night so i'm guessing a lot of people are gonna listen to it more on monday and we went through uh houston zion and then some of the 2021 fraging class because I, I have a piece coming out about on that on the athletic which actually might be coming out on monday i haven't heard of the specific published date but you can check that out i, I talked about kind of the double the kind of the other end of 2021 free agency something you, it was actually start spawned by a conversation you and i had on the pod and i wanted to kind of get that out there in front of my t- also nba cast new orleans and dallas oh. zion and luca on wednesday so check that out talk to y'all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.